MSW Media. This is Albert Hammond Jr., and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. Sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey there, friends. Welcome to the show. Coming up, we've got J.T. Van Zant. He's one of the owners of Epic Western Cocktails. They produce high-quality Texas ranch water in a can. J.T. is the son of the late Towns Van Zant, a superbly talented singer-songwriter in the 60s and 70s who influenced countless artists across multiple genres. His, uh, his tunes have been recorded, performed by Bob Dylan, Willie Nelson, Lyle Lovett, Merle Haggard, Nora Jones, Emmylou Harris, Counting Crows, Steve Earle, Nancy Griffith Guy, Clark, Jason Isbell, Jesus, and Natalie Maines, the Cowboys Junkies, on and on and on. Uh, here's a snippet from one of Towns Van Zandt's best-known tracks, Poncho and Lefty. Living on the road, my friend What's gonna keep you free and clean? Now you wear your skin like iron And your breath's as hard as kerosene You weren't your mama's only boy But her favorite one, it seems She began to cry when you said goodbye That song appears on his 1972 album, The Late Great Towns Van Zant. Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard went on to cover that song in 1983, and their version hit number one on Billboard's Country Charts. JT and I talked a lot about his old man, so you're in for a treat. And that's coming up in a few minutes. So JT's got ranch water in a can, and I tried another canned product recently that I really dig. It's called Saki High. The company is based here where I live in Venice, California. The Saki is brewed in Kyoto, Japan. This is Junmai Saki. Junmai being the Japanese word for pure rice sake. There are just four ingredients. They're all locally sourced in Kyoto. you got water, rice, yeast, and koji. Now, beer is made from barley, sake from rice. One of the main differences between sake and beer is that rice doesn't contain the kinds of enzymes that are found in barley. So an additional ingredient is needed to help convert the rice's starch into sugar. And that's koji, or koji gin, or uh, koji can, excuse me. In short, koji is steamed rice that has mold spores cultivated onto it. And this mold creates enzymes that convert the starches in rice into sugars that can be fermented by yeast cells. I'm burpy right now. So back to Saki High. Uh, there's a very nice couple here. They own it. They live in Venice. 
It's a very small operation. They're busting their butts. So I thought, you know, give them some love on the show. It's really tasty stuff. I, I actually uh, brought a few cans with me in a cooler when I was out golfing the other day, which might explain why my game went to shit on the back nine. The Saki High is 15% ABV. That's like three times stronger than most beer and seltzer. Uh, it's only available on-premise in California at the moment, but if you're in other parts of the country, you can order it online at SakiHigh.com. $20 for a four-pack. I recommend it. Give it a shot. You like the Saki. Also got a wine recommendation for you. Rombauer's 2021 Carneros Chardonnay. It's lovely. Carneros, of course, is a AVA in Northern California that includes parts of Napa and Sonoma counties. Rombauer's Carneros Chardonnay is a highly sought-after wine from vintage to vintage. It's and people love this, and, and, and rightly so. Uh, known for bright fruit flavors, creamy notes. I had the twenty-one the other night with salmon crostini and some grilled corn salad, and oh lordy! Oh, I found it to be all right, all right, all right. That's right, Matthew McConaughey. You get me. The wine smells like ripe peach spice, some pie crust there. And on the palate, you're going to get apricot and some nice vibrant acidity, little hints of vanilla. It's 40 bucks a bottle. Ron Bowers 2021 Carnero Chardonnay. I recommend it. We've got a little segment on this show we call Outside the Zone, in which we dissect pitches that I've received. Pitches from publicists that are outside the zone. I want you to throw the next one at the mascot. Oh, yeah, I'm finally throwing it where I want to throw it. Just throw it at the ball, right? Just a bit outside. Got an email recently from a publicist representing a well-known whiskey brand. Not going to say what it is, but well-known. Irish whiskey. With an invite to a tasting happening at Hudson Yards. Now, Hudson Yards is in New York. I live 3,000 miles away in Venice Beach. I happen to believe that publicists ought to know who the people they're pitching are and where they're based. That said, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most egregious violation of professionalism, I'd put not bothering to confirm where someone from the media lives at about, I don't know, 4, maybe a 5. So when I got the email, I just ignored it. It's like if you live in a high-rise in the middle of Manhattan and someone emails you trying to say, I don't know, say, farm equipment. You hit delete. It's not actionable. They're pitching you something you couldn't possibly use, and they ought to know better. It's not on you to have to take the time to write them back and set them straight. Just move on. That's what I did. But then this publicist followed up. Not just once, but twice. Both follow-up emails said the same thing. Just wanted to bump this up. Hope you can join us. After the second follow-up, which was the day before the tasting. Keep this in mind. Day before the tasting. I was feeling a little cheeky, so I wrote back, Sounds like a fun event, though it's a bit too long of a commute from my place in Venice Beach. And I included my address in that email to underscore the point that I live on the other side of the country. He wrote back almost immediately. Completely understand, Dan. Thanks for the response. If something changes in your schedule, feel free to drop by. Okay, so here's where the level of unprofessionalism jumps from a 4 or 5 to at least a 7. I don't think she completely understands at all. To completely understand is to know that me declining the invitation has nothing to do with my schedule and everything to do with the fact that I'm 3,000 miles away. What the hell's going on? I mean, what the hell is going on? 
<sighs> so I write her back the day after the event, saying I'm sorry I wasn't able to make it, but if she would send me a sample of the new whiskey expression, I'll try it and you know possibly talk it up here on the show. She wrote back excitedly, lots of exclamation points. That's great, and that she would FedEx me a sample right away. That was two weeks ago, and my sample is nowhere in sight. Beneath his stormy surface flowed the warm tide of compassion and kindness. What the hell's going on out here? All right. So we'll go from incompetence to to competence. And that competence would be one of our partners here on the show. Can I get a little music for this? I need a little accompanying music. Come on, give me a jam. All right, yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah. That's the jam. I'm talking about Batiste Rum. Batiste Rum is the first sustainable American craft rum. They use an eco-positive solar-powered manufacturing process from beginning to end. It's made from 100% fresh cane juice. They're not using sugar crystals. They're not using molasses. If you like tequila 100% agave, you're going to love rum 100% cane juice. you got to trust me on this, folks. The hella fine rum. i got a deal for you. All right? Yeah, just you. Don't tell anybody else. All right, you can tell other people. Go ahead. But here's the deal. Go to BatisteRum.com, B-A-T-I-S-T-E-R-H-U-M.com. Put in a bunch of rum in that cart. Put it in there. Get as much rum as you can handle. And then enter code DUNN, D-U-N-N. That's my last name. At checkout, 20% off everything you got. 20% moolah. Greenbacks, cold, hard, cash. Thanks to Batiste Rum. Yes, they're swell, folks. Batiste is proof that great taste with true sustainability is not a goal for tomorrow, but a reality today. Now, you got this rum, and you want to mix it with something. You want a good mixer. Can I get some new music for this? New music, please. Thank you. You've heard me say this before on the show. You can buy the finest spirits in the world, like Batiste Rum, to make craft cocktails at home. But if you use lousy mixers, you're going to get lousy drinks. And let's face it, whipping up cocktails at home can be an expensive hassle. Who the hell has time to go out and get all the shit you need to squeeze and juice and blah? Mess. That's why I'm all about Fresh Victor, baby. That's right. Fresh Victor's a line of all-natural, clean-label cocktail mixers that taste fabulous. All of the ingredients, every single one, fair trade source. There's nothing artificial. With bonus of a fresh mixer, over a ready-made canned cocktail is not just the jump in quality and freshness, but the fun of actually making yourself, guests, a kick-ass drink. Right now, Fresh Victor's offering a summertime special for you, my listeners. Simply go to freshvictor.com, fill up your shopping cart, and at checkout enter promo code WWD20. Get 20% off your order. Don't hesitate. Now's the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market. And that's Fresh Victor. Hello. There are many ways to use the Bartles and James Premium Wine Cooler. One lady in Massachusetts even uses it to make bread. Will Ed suggests an even better idea is to use it as a topping. For example, as a topping for ice. This is quick and easy to do and will not only improve the flavor of ice considerably, but will make it more attractive as well. So if you're tired of having your ice just plain, add some Bartles and James. We hope you appreciate this suggestion and thank you for your support. Joining me now, a renowned fishing guide, 
from down in South Texas. He is the host of a popular podcast called Drifting. He plays a little music, he builds boats, and he's an owner of Epic Western Cocktails. They make premium ranch water. What is ranch water, you're wondering? Well, that's what we're about to discuss with J.T. Van Zant, How are you, J.T.? I'm doing wonderful, Dan. Thank you, buddy. It's nice to meet you, man. I uh, will get into that a little bit later. I, I am a big fan of your father's music, and we can talk about that in a bit. But first, I want to talk to you about uh, the, the ranch water. Uh, Epic Western is the name of the, of the brand. Tell our listeners, what is ranch water? Um. That has gotten very diluted lately. So let's, that's, a, that's a great question, and I want to be very specific about that. Ranch water is premium tequila and Mexican mineral water. And the Mexican mineral water, like a Topo Chico, is essential because of the amount of fizz that that has compared to a club soda or sparkling water. So once it's iced down... And Wait, are we forgetting? Are we forgetting? And isn't lime one of the ingredients? You know, lime and salt and all those other uh, sort of embellishments are welcome, but not necessary to make to constitute a a ranch water. But certainly, lime is is right up there as an important ingredient. And Topo Chico, as you mentioned, not not necessary, but some people, especially the Texans that I have met, say that that's non-negotiable. Like that's got to be is. used. Okay. It is. Yeah. There's a particular fizz to that that makes it, you know, effervescent and, and bubbly enough to kind of burn your throat, even after it's mixed into a cocktail. Got it. Got it. Now I've, I've done some digging into the origin of, of commercially available ranch water. And like so many other iconic drinks, the provenance is a little unclear. Some of the things I turned up, a guy named Kevin Williamson, owner of Ranch 616 in Austin. Then there's yes, a guy named... Yes, rest soul. Okay, it, it, it passed. J.P. Bryan at the White Buffalo Bar at the Gage Hotel in Marathon. I've also heard it was invented in Marfa. Uh, what is your best guess, J.T., about where ranch water, at least commercially, began? To be a, I think it, I think there's a good chance that it was developed on on a on a tailgate somewhere in South or West Texas by some cowboys that had some cold Topo Chicos in the bottle as well as some tequila on hand and after a certain amount of 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 Topo Chico is is relieved from the bottle by drinking it then that leaves space to add tequila into the actual bottle. And so I'm thinking that lime was probably left out of the first authentic ranch water that was made. But then I would give it to Kevin at 616 in Austin for commercializing that, that cocktail rather than it just being a margarita, right, or a shot of tequila. You know, I think typically at a bar you'd walk up, you'd either have a shot of tequila with, with a beer or something like that, or you would order a margarita. But never really was tequila mixed with with soda water straight up. That, that was kind of odd until the ranch water came about. What's interesting is I've, I've been encountering people ordering ranch water out here in Southern California. And it makes sense because you're not having, when you mentioned the margarita, you're not having that sweet, you're not having the sugar element to it. And of course, people out here in California are perpetually worried about, uh, you know, gaining any weight 
Uh, so the ranch water is a real nice way to keep the keep the calories off if you're going to be imbibing, right? And I think sugar kind of contributes to the hangover to a certain extent. Absolutely, yeah. And and going going back again, it's like it was. It's pretty rare to find a really good margarita, good authentic margarita, which which would be just you know fresh squeezed lime, some sort of a triple sec or Grand Marnier an orange liqueur, then, and, and then tequila, you know, that, that in of itself has been a rare item to find a genuine article of, and then good tequila. So I think everybody had a college experience like with Jose Cuervo, which is not um, a genuine hundred percent blue agave tequila. And thus the additives, it's like partially rum. It can be a lot of different things in a very like cheap tequila that gives you a terrible hangover. So I, th- I think tequila had a bad rap for years and years. I'm 53 years old. So growing up, growing up in Houston and like a kid of the eighties, when we got tequila drunk, that was typically on Jose Cuervo or some well type. Tequila. Which was a mix. It's called a mixed oat tequila. What, mixed what, what tequila. JT's talking about is, uh, and that's what I think separates Epic Western from a lot of these ready to drink ranch waters that are blowing up now is that you're using 100% pure agave tequila, right? That's right. Canned in Mexico using 100% uh, Mexican carbonated mineral water as well, which is that other authentic component that has to be there. I'm excited, actually. This Well, by the time this pod, when this podcast airs, I will... Uh, well, if everything goes well, I will be in Mexico when this when this podcast drops next week. Uh, at uh, I'm going down to awesome. visit my friends at Fortaleza Tequila, with, oh, uh, right outside oh, of Tequila. Yeah, fantastic tequila. One of my favorites. So you're right. Yeah. Uh, having that authenticity, I think, is what's separate. From what I can tell, I haven't seen any other uh, ranch water brands in a can commercially available that are using 100% agave. Are you are you guys the only ones? I believe that we are, at least to the level that you would mix at home, right? And be proud to serve your friend. Because this is like, for instance, uh, this, the the chispa that I have here has a monk fruit, like a sweet component. So this is closer to like a skinny margarita. Um, the gold can, our original, is the ranch water, which is just a little bit of salt and lime with Mexican mineral water and 100% blue agave tequila. This one's 8%. The original's 10%. So even like the Herradura and I think Hornitos is making a canned version. That's a 5%. That's like the strength of a beer. Um, these little cans have the strength of two beers, which is kind of like a true cocktail. I know it, my friend. I, I sampled the wares last night, actually. I'll uh, I'll drop a little name. I was over a friend, Harry Lennox, who's been on the show numerous times. Harry stars on The Blacklist on NBC. I brought over some some cans of Epic Western. You also had a Paloma version, a La Paloma, and we drank them all. And uh, let's just say the evening was a lot of fun after that. We had a cool. we drank a bunch yeah. and we played some piano and did some swimming in the pool and playing with the dogs and shooting <laughs> pool and everything else. And and it was and it just you know what it is. It's very light. It's hot here now, and 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 it's yeah. very light and refreshing. It does you don't get weighed down by it when you're drinking it. It, yeah. it makes you feel you know up and peppy. That's at least that's how I experience. There's a lot of euphoria to it, and it may it hits you right away. Like like if you you know, hadn't had a drink all day and you want one, you start bleeding into beers that leads, you know, to two or three, then you need a nap or you just don't feel that great. You're kind of heavy and full. I agree. They're, they're very light, very refreshing. 
and uh, and they bring about almost an instant kind of euphoric feeling. Now, where? How many states are you available in? That's a good question. It's growing by the day. I want to say we're in at least five right now. I'm breaking into Colorado and uh, a couple other mountain states, trying to get out to California right now, Florida. Um, we're in Oklahoma, Texas, uh, Louisiana, a couple other states. But yeah. And so is it sold by a four pack, six pack? How does it come? Four pack. And we're about to, we're about to release an, another one called brush fire, which has a jalapeno component. And with that, we'll have a sample four pack that'll have the La Paloma, the original ranch water, the chispa margarita, and then the brush fire as well. Count me in on that one, please. So right now there's three, there's three flavors soon to be four. And what's the price for a four pack? About eighteen ninety nine, but then again, compared to the next one down the ladder, you're getting a, a lot more tequila in those cans. So a four pack has half of a seven fifty milliliter bottle of hundred percent blue agave tequila. Wow. So even if you took the the cheapest one hundred percent blue agave tequila on the market, two four packs would about equal the cost of that bottle, and you're holding a, a full bottle of tequila in two four packs. Eight cans has a full bottle of tequila. So if you have two of these things, you've had, if you have two of the 8% versions, you've had a few shots of tequila. If you have two of the gold cans, you've had four ounces of tequila. If you've had two of those for breakfast, you're my uncle Den. That's how he goes. Yeah, exactly. uh, maybe. No. Um, <laughs> so what in your bio, JT, it calls you, it lists you as a legendary fly oh. fisherman. Now I... Don't know a lot about I did. Uh, I think we talked about this briefly off the air before we started. I lived in Colorado, so I have tried fly fishing. I'm not good at it. My understanding of how it works, I, I, I basically know that there are two types of flies. Am I right on this? There's the ones that float. They're the dry flies. And the ones that sink are the nymphs. Yeah. Well, that's in trout fishing. Which is what we would do on the Roaring Fork River in Colorado. That's right. That's right. So you can catch a sailfish on a fly rod, right? So there's, I would add one other category to those two flies. You've got your dry fly, which floats on top. You have your, your nymphal stage, which is a nymph that goes and sinks. And then you have a streamer, which you have to articulate with a stripping motion, which imitates like a bait fish or a shrimp or a crab or something else. So your streamers, dry flies, and nymphs. When you go out, you take people out, you're going to teach them. How long does it take if someone has never fly fished because it just looks really complex. How long does it yeah. take for someone to just get proficient? I would say, you know, it, it does take a dedication of someone's time. Um, 30 minutes, three times a week for a few weeks and you can cast a fly rod. Now I take beginners out all the time who have never caught a redfish on a fly. It's what I, is what I specialize in on the flats down here in Texas. And more often than not, I can get a beginner hooked up, um, on his first time out, but to really enjoy it and have confidence and, and, and repeatability, consistency, I think you need to practice with a fly rod for a couple months. And it's, to me, it's a simplified version of fishing because instead of having a mechanical reel and drag and all these, uh, a vest full of stuff, you really just need a fly rod, which is an, an reel containing that colored line, which is the fly line. And then a monofilament leader that goes on the end of that and a fly. And once you learn to work that rod, you're stripping with your hand. You're basically, you're basically handlining a fish after you hook it on a fly rod because you don't have that mechanical reel letting drag out while you reel. 
So if you hook a fish and that fish is big enough to run away from you, then you have to let them take line through your hand and then the reel spins backwards until they get tired and you can turn the reel the other way, right? So okay, um, it, it takes a while to, to simplify all that down into, into the nuts and bolts of it. I think f- f- that's what attracted me in the beginning. I saw the line traveling through the air. I saw this round reel that didn't make any sense to me. And I was like, I got to figure out what that, that, it just mystified me. And once I got the tackle in my hand, I was sort of inseparable with it. I put a lot of time and energy into learning to cast and it's been something that's taken over my life. That, that was when I was, that was in 91 when I picked up a fly rod. So I would have been 22 years old and I'm 53 now. So better part of half of my life, you know, it's been doing that. You talk about that visual. I mean, I remember, and, and I think probably most people's frame of reference that aren't into fly fishing would be a river runs through it because who isn't into Brad Pitt, right? So, yeah, um, exactly. When I, but I remember watching that and it, it really, I mean, obviously it was, whoever the cinematographer was did an incredible job, but it was really gorgeous. And it just, it, it represented to me a, like a state of being that just felt like that's got to be what Zen is, you know, being out there. So I ask you, when you watch that movie, I'm sure you've seen the movie, is Brad Pitt's technique good? Am I watching good technique there? Or is it just good oh, yeah. Hollywood cinema? Oh, for sure. They had some casters out of uh, some different shops in Montana that did the stunt work, if you will, for that. And they're some of the best casters in the world. It was all very realistic. Um, my friends in the mountain states, a few of them call that a realtor runs through it <laughs> based on the, on the impact that that movie had. Oh, on to, Montana. To, to bring in that sport. To, to the to the rivers and the country itself, but also to the sport of fly fishing was huge. A lot of recognition came to fly fishing as a consequence of that movie. And, and it was, you know, you can imagine down in South Texas 30 years ago, people had never seen a fly rod. So you have these old crusty saltwater anglers who, uh, you know, are using old bait casters and stuff like that. He showed up with a fly rod and they were just like, what do you intend to do with that thing? You know, What would be the difference, JT, between fly fishing on the whitefish up in Montana or in the Roaring Fork in Colorado and a, a stream in the Rockies and the mountains versus the Gulf of, of Mexico, which is where you're at, right? Yeah. Um, so let's just take saltwater fly, uh, flats fishing in general. What, what you're doing is you're going around either walking, paddling, um, using a skiff, which I do with my clients to pole with a long stick from the back while an angler stands on the front and looks visually for a fish to cast out. So it's much more of a hunting situation where you're not casting the fly rod unless you see a target swimming. And in which case you throw a streamer fly, which would imitate a bait fish or or a shrimp, let's say, and you you pull that shrimp with little stripping motions past the face of the fish and that fish mistakes it as natural prey. And you watch the whole thing. It's very visual. Um, when you're fishing in a river, you throw it up current and then you watch it float down until it reaches a terminal end beneath you downstream. And then you start that cast upstream again. You're more prospecting for fish that you may or may not see. Now, if you have rising trout that are eating insects off the top, that would be a good time to reach in your vest and pull out one of those dry flies that's going to float on top. And as that fish is feeding and it's laying on natural insects, you want to bring that that dry fly down right in that same lane and hope that fish mistakes it for a natural, you know, dry a natural insect. Now you got me hooked. I want to come down now. Take a look. <laughs> Man, come on down. It changes lives. It does. You know, I've 
I've been very fortunate. I think the legendary, um, you know, kind of status is more about being the last man standing or just the fact that I'm, I'm old now. I've been doing this a long time, but I've dedicated my adult life to it. And I have professionals from all walks of life and, and some, some who had to save most of the year to afford that trip with me that come and, and it affects everyone the same way. It's a very, it's, it's a very exciting thing to see the fish that you intend to catch and to be able to make an accurate enough cast with a fly rod and then give that little piece of fuzz essentially life by stripping that line through your finger and watch that fish really charge up to eat that fly. It's a, it, all the problems that you've accumulated in the in the real world go away in that moment. So that's my gift to humanity. It's a good segue into the, to the, I guess the last bit I want to talk to you about. So I mentioned Colorado when I was there, I was uh, living and I was uh, friendly friends with and working with the late, great Dr. Hunter S. Thompson. That's incredible. And through Hunter, I got to meet and become friendly with Lyle Lovett. And okay. through Lyle Lovett is how I discovered the music of your father, Towns Van Zant. Lyle was greatly influenced by Towns, as were yes. so many others. And I, frankly, had never heard of him. I, you know, I grew up in Philly listening to punk rock and stuff. And then when Lyle, tur- you know, I heard Lyle Lovett before, you know, and then when I got turned on to, to, your, to your dad's music, um, and then as I got older, I got to really appreciate just how much, uh, how many people he influenced. Merle Haggard, uh, Steve Earle, Dylan was a huge yeah. fan of your father. Yeah. So I set that up to say, to get, bring it back to the, to the fishing. Your, your dad was uh, like so many great artists was, a, he had, he was a troubled individual. I, I watched the documentary years ago and then I just came back and rewatched it called Be, Be Here to Love Me, a documentary from 2004. And I recommend it to anybody who wants to, to, to find out about Towns Van Zant. He was an alcoholic, a drug problem. He had some mental illness. He died in 1997 on New Year's Day. He was 52 years old, so just a year younger than you, which has yeah. got to seem crazy to you. But you, there's also another video I recommend people watch, a short video that you did with Yeti called My Old Man, in which you open up about your relationship with your father. And you said, really one of the most telling things, you said your, your dad was the happiest when he was most unhappy. What do you mean by that? Um, that was a place where he felt he could create. And hey, he was a pretty privileged child, right? He came, he came from a lot of resources, but he also was given insulin shock therapy as a very young, young man, about 20 years old, which erased most of his memory. Um, his, his main influence was Lightning Hopkins, who was a, a blues guitarist in the Houston area. Um, and he really felt privileged around those people, and rightfully so. So he stripped everything away from, his, from himself. He started from scratch. He hit the road with a knapsack and a guitar case, and he didn't call his mom until he had a hit song. And uh, he, he, he did it. You know, he really did it. I'm super proud of him. I wish he could have found a little relief from, uh, from the burdens that his mind put him through. But he really felt when he had the blues that he was the most authentic in, in the place of creativity. And he kind of set it up for himself to be in, in, some, in situations that most people would find incredibly dire. That was his happy spot. 
but he he made it work with a guitar and a pickup truck for his whole career and managed to be um you know the favorite songwriter of many great artists many of whom you mentioned so i'm incredibly proud of him go in and check out be here to love me and you'll get to see it's warts and all but it's also just some beautiful music and and it it is touching to see because you you feel it you know when i watched it and when i listened to his music it, there's nothing artificial the pain is genuine yeah. the struggle is genuine but the 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 heart and the the feeling is so it's all there it all really and you could see why he influenced so many people and again in the in the short video my old man that you're that you're in you say you didn't want to follow your dad's path and what i found was interesting for what you're doing now is that, you know, we commonly refer to it as mother nature, but for you, nature was more like a, the surrogate father. That's true. It's true. Uh, the, my dad's songs became a much greater parental influence on me than the man himself was. He, he wasn't capable really of, 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 of carrying the load the way his songs sort of represent. So what I mean by that is like, you weren't going to get very far by emulating him as a human being. He was very disturbed, very unhappy, very unhealthy. But he wrote um, in an idyllic way that represented true human emotion in the way I believe that one should be. Much like if you were to read the Bible, whether you're religious or not, whether you believe in God or not, you got to admit there's some pretty great, valuable lessons in there on how, how you should be as a person. And I found that in his music. Now, if I was as prolific as a poet or songwriter as he was, I'd probably be doing the same thing. But I had to reckon with myself pretty early in life, realizing that I was not. And so was I going to just move through life as the son of somebody? Or was I going to find the thing that really was meaningful to me and do it to the best of my ability? And luckily, fly fishing came along and I thought, man, here's my chance. Let me see how I can affect others by sharing the love I have for this pastime. And it it paid off. And it, it was taught to me by the, the uh, what should I say, just by the uh, discipline that he wrote under. I knew whatever it was I was going to do, I had to do to that extent, to that high level. And, uh, and also that ties into Epic Western, honestly. I'm, I'm lucky in the fact that I'm a sponsored athlete. I have many sponsors, including, you know, uh, apparel brands, Yeti coolers, other people take really good care of me. And I had a lot of offers to, to back some, Hey, I'm a Van Zant. Like so, so the alcohol companies were going to reach out eventually. Right. And yeah. So I, I turned a lot of folks down because I wouldn't drink it. I wouldn't be proud to serve it to my friends. Like ranch water is not a seltzer. It's not a, it's not a, it's not made with bad tequila just so you can, can produce it and can it in the States. It's made of hundred percent blue agave. And when the guy's Adam Love and those guys came around with Epic. They're like, we want you to be involved in shaping the taste of this brand. I was like, well, it's got to be 100% Blue Agave tequila. They were like, we know. And we have to make it in Mexico for that fact. And it's going to be very difficult, I said. I'm in. One last thing about your dad. In the in the in your short there, you talked about how you learned how to play all your dad's songs as a way to connect with him uh, through his music. Yeah. The first thing that jumped into my mind, and it kind of made me sad was have you ever thought man i wish you know if my dad would have made it i could have taken him out and shown him how to fly fish 
You know, spiritually, I'm right there with you. I appreciate you saying that. Like there was a time when I was in Nashville and I want to say it was like real early on when I first started fly fishing, I was probably about 22 or 23. And uh, we went out to this outdoor store on Broadway and he asked me what I wanted. I said, I didn't want anything, but I wanted to buy my little brother, Will, his second son, a fly rod and and he sprung for it and uh that was real meaningful to me and, and will still has that that fly rod and then towns came through pagosa springs colorado where i was living and guiding out of a shop and i met him there and he looked around it reminded him of the time he had spent in gunnison he was on his way to uh the silverton folk festival to play a gig and he looked around and he looked at the river that ran through town in san juan and he said, man, you're a fly fishing guide up here. That's far out to you. I'm super proud of you. And so, yeah, I carry that with me. Of course, I wish Townsend had stuck around. But, man, for those who knew him well, the shape that he was in by the time he was a year younger than me now, um, there was no way to keep him around. It was it was just so desperate. And, I'm, I mean, he got his work done. He got it all done. Those songs will be here for much longer than I will. And they left a legacy for my for my two boys, Towns and Isaac. And so I'm super proud of him. I know that he would be very proud of me where I've come in this in this sport. And uh, and I'm I'm just grateful to him for teaching me how to do something with all of my heart, you know, how to believe in myself, how to believe in the thing that I'm doing, despite what the public says, because there were decades where he didn't know if he was going to survive enough to buy food for the table or what, you know, Yeah, he was, he was on the road trying to fill bars most of his life. And, and now he's, he's not a, a household name, but, but he's no longer just a fringe, you know, kind of name either. He is a legendary songwriter and rightfully so. And uh, I think he always knew that, that, that it would come around that he, his songs would gain recognition if he just, if he believed in it, you know, if he, he was proud of them, then that, that was all that mattered. So that's great. Man. That's how I live my life. That's how I, I plan to pass on whatever my children decide to do. I would just want them to do it with all their heart and soul. You know, that's what else are we doing here? That's Dan, right, what, why else are we on the planet? It ain't to punch a clock. I mean, and he also taught me never disparage the working man. Every single person out there holding the job deserves respect. Um, we need you guys. We, we need everybody doing that thing. That Wait, even podcasters? Exactly. Hold even on podcast. a second. Hey, I'm that might that be train. a bridge too far. <laughs> Speaking of legend, the dog. Yeah. There's a dog in the video. Uh, is that that's a blue healer, right? The, the dog you got on the yeah. is that is that your dog still around? I hope. Foxy got put down last year oh. as a 17 and a half year old. Oh man! If you um, want again, go it, folks watch the video. Yeah, go check out my old man and this dog just fearless man you're you're ripping across on the water and he's just sitting there you put him down i'm sorry to hear that but it's such a great it, that's such a great uh breed of dog the it, 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 it's an australian cattle dog that's exactly right yeah with a full tail yeah she was she was uh she was a rescue dog about 18 years ago i picked her up in austin from a from an outfit and she never needed a leash she was right there front seat of the truck the whole way wow that is great <laughs> Well, JT Van Zant, it has been a real pleasure talking to you. I, I everybody out there, if you can get it, and he's, as as JT said, it's it's rolling out to more and more states. Epic, epic Western cocktails. 
Like ranch water, there's three flavors now with a fourth, a spicy one coming. We got the Chispa Rita, we got the, uh, the La Paloma, and then the regular ranch water. And what the, would you say the, the jalapeno one's going to be called? Yeah, soon to be brush fire will hit the market. It's, it's all pretty much brand new, but it's taken off like crazy. People are really appreciating just the fact that it is 100% blue agave tequila, that it packs a punch. A can's got two full ounces of tequila in it. So drink, drink responsibly and enjoy. And uh, from my heart, I think you'll find it to be the genuine article. I wouldn't back anything less. My pleasure to meet you, Dan. And and it sounds like you're going to have to come down here, go fly fishing with me, and we'll share a few ranch waters. That would be fantastic, man. JT Van Zant, thank you. Thank you, buddy. It's over, Johnny. It's over. Nothing is over. That's going to do it for. This episode of What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. I want to thank J.T. Van Zant for joining us. Lovely man. Lovely man. Great product. also want to thank you, dear listener. It, it all, none of this happens without you. There is no show without your support. And I invite you to tell some friends. Get, get people on board this train with us. But I really do mean it. It's great having all of you spend time with me. And... As a show of my thanks, I'm going to leave you with a joke. Two chemists walk into a bar. First chemist says, I'll have a glass of H2O. Second chemist says, I'll have a glass of H2O too. Bartender gives them both water because he's able to distinguish the boundary tones that dictate the grammatical function of homophones in coda position as well as pragmatic context. That was a good one, right? All right, fine, fine, fine. Something simpler. An amoeba walks into a bar. Bartender says, pay the tab before you split. (whistles) All right, fine. Last one, I promise. William Shakespeare walks into a bar. The bartender says, I told you before, you're barred from this place. I gotta go. Miss you already.